Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from the Indiana Hoosiers, they're uh, waiting on their competition with that double bye Friday night around about 9.30. Guard Trey Galloway joins us. Hey, Trey, thank you very much for the time. How you doing? Of course, I'm doing well. How you doing? What is the... What is the time like right now? Is it more working toward Friday in that game, or is there a little bit of rest and relaxation from what has been a long, grinding year to this point? Yeah, um, I'd say a little bit of both. Um, I mean, obviously we know that this time of the year, um, everyone's tired, so we're taking that consideration. And we had, we had an off day yesterday, um, but today kind of a little prep, um, kind of getting ourselves better um, and seeing what we have to do to prepare for Friday. I mean, we don't know who we play, um, but we're just trying, like I said, trying to get ourselves better and get ourselves ready. What does it feel like you uh, and your teammates are right now coming off that, that went over Michigan? Oh, it's huge. Um, to get the double bye, um, not to play till Friday's big time that's one thing we we wanted to be at the top of the big 10 um so to finish in the top three was, was, was big for us and i think just getting that win really solidified um that we are uh, we're legit and we're ready to go so i think just being able to pull that game out was huge for us because uh, we were down in the second half we could have we could have folded um but i think we stuck together and um fought fought our way out of it and found a way to get to the win did you get a bad whistle on sunday trey um, I mean, I don't know if you're allowed uh, to say I, it. I guess I can, but yeah, you can. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I got to find ways to, to not be so handsy all the time. And, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think it was, yeah, I don't, it was it was tough. Tough whistle. Yeah, I shouldn't have said yeah. bad. If I'd have put it that way, you might have answered it better. And I just, uh, <laughs> I said bad whistle. Yeah. I can't say it. Tough whistle is, is what you got. Now, now, it, it, do you know? Like when there's a certain official or set of officials out there, do you know when to be or you can be more handsy than others? Uh, that's a hard question as well. <laughs> um, you don't I have to name any names, but I mean, do you? Yeah. Do, I, 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 listen, you play hard defense whenever you're out there. I know yeah. that. All right, but do you, do you know that there might be some things that you can get away with in physicality yeah. more with some than others? Um, I think just kind of the flow of the game. Like there's some things you can get away with with others um, that you can't. And so I think just being smart and um, kind of just taking that question out of the air. Um, so that's one thing I can I can work on. Because there's some there's some fouls that I did. There was I was found. I think that I can take eliminate some of those out of, out of the equation. That that'll help me be able to stay on the floor more. So I think just um, knowing who we're working with and knowing. Um, the cheap fouls that I do get and taking those away, I think that will be able to help me. Um, I won't have to worry about who's officially in the game or anything. So, like I said, just taking away some of those cheap fouls will be huge for me in this, in this um, run. He is Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers. They await some competition coming up at that 9.30 slot on Friday night at the United Center in Chicago in the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Trey, kind enough to join us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I described your performance going back to that Purdue game as oftentimes, hey, go out and play with your hair on fire. 
Uh, and, you know, that's that's a good thing, but sometimes you can get a little bit over your skis, get going too fast. I, I thought you played at the fastest pace possible for you, and you stayed controlled. Did you feel you played that way, and is that what you strive to do? And I'm talking about on both ends, not just defensively. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, the one thing with Purdue, they're, they're a great team, um, and that was one thing I try to do was just play as hard as I can because um, it, it's – one of the toughest places to play in the country. And I know I knew we, we needed a boost defensively, um, so I was trying to do some things where I could kind of help us get a little um, boost on defense. And that was one thing I, I focused on the second half early was just being that spark plug um, and being finding a way to create defense to offense. And I think that really helped us um, with our momentum in the second half get going. And I think um, that's one thing I can focus on the rest of the year is just final ways on defensive uh, to lead to offense uh, for me and my teammates as well. Yeah, novice eyeball opinion here, but defensively, when, when you were matched up most of the time with Braden Smith, it, it kind of felt to me like you were trying to defensively push him to where you wanted him to go, not to where he wanted to go. Was that what you were trying to do? Yes. Um, I mean, because he, he's a great player and he controls their offense. Um, he, he does a great job of playing at his own pace. Um, so I think just kind of playing hard and keeping them um, from places where they want to go to initiate their offense is a big thing that I try to do. Um, okay. Obviously, they're still going to get the ball on Zach Eady. And so I think the game plan on all of our parts was, was, was critical. I think we executed it, and um, we found ways to rotate out of different situations. And I, I think all five guys in the court um, – Put a huge role in stopping Braden and uh, the rest of their guys. And, and Trey Galloway joins us. That's a great point you make. And if you wouldn't mind, I, I'd like you to go a little bit more in depth because it seems to me when you're playing somebody like Zach Eady that it's just as important to try to pressure and make difficult the entry pass to him than it is what you're doing once he gets the ball in the interior, correct? For sure, yeah. I mean, because we don't want just straight line passes into him because if he gets it um, with ease, he, he, he's. I mean, he's one of the best players in the country, so he's he's going to score on anybody. So I think just pressing those passes out and making it hard on the guards to get in to him, um, it gives us gives our big time to push the push him out a little bit more, um, so he doesn't have an advantage as, as easy to score. So I think um, that was the game plan, which is kind of playing physical and um, playing hard. And I think that I think it really helped us out. So uh, Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I talked to Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, every Friday. And more times than not, he uh, will explain to me how whenever he sees you, he tells you to shoot. How often does he, does. he do that? Oh, every time he sees me. Um, it's, it's it's pretty funny to to see. Um, but, yeah, every, every time he walks by, he's, he's always telling me to shoot it, which is kind of an ongoing joke we got going on, which is pretty, pretty cool. You know, in, it, it's funny. Do you – this may come off. I don't want it to sound bad. Do you need to be told that? Have there been moments where you you need to be told that? You need to be more aggressive um, offensively. Yeah, um, there's especially um, recently. They definitely told me to be more aggressive. Um, but I think my thing was just is always just trying to get the best shot possible because um, I feel like if we can get pass up a good shot or a great shot, that's, that's huge for us. But I think. Um, I can I can be more aggressive on offense um, and, and and take shots when I'm open. I, I think I've done a good job with that, taking shots yeah. and um, and being ready to knock it down when it comes out to me. Um, I can do an even better job. And I'm, um, I'm working on that, so it's been good. 
Yeah, I, and I, I know that uh, obviously you guys you, you, you try to get it on the interior to trace, but I'm oh. telling you these games, these games, Trey. When when you guys hit outside shots, that makes this offense play at its best abilities here and opens up absolutely everything because Trace is such a monster on the interior. For sure. No, it does. I mean, because when he, when he catches it down low, it's they got to find ways to double him and, and get the ball out of his, his hands. So I think that if we stay ready um, and, and we're ready on the perimeter, and that's one thing our coach preaches is being ready, and he trusts us too, which is the big thing. I think Trace – Trace trusts that he's going to get the ball back, and when he passes it out, he trusts that we're going to make shots. So I think that's been a big part um, of our of our offense is just being ready to knock it down when it comes out because he's a willing passer and he's a great passer as well. So that's been a big part of our offense. Has Mike Woodson told you to shoot more, to be more aggressive with the ball? Yeah, I mean he, he has, um, and he says when when they when they do pass it out to Greer to knock it down, I think that's the one thing he, he's told me and some other guys like Miller. And, um, Tamar and uh, Jalen, just be ready to shoot it when it comes out because um, it's going to come out. Cause he, like I said, he, he's going to pass it out, and we got to be ready to knock it down. So, do you ever think when you're in high school and you know you're schooling everybody in high school back at, at Culver in the day? Do you ever think yeah. that anybody was going to have to tell you to to shoot <laughs> to shoot more? <laughs> I can't imagine that crossed your mind back then. Playing for your dad, you know, scoring at a high level, being a high level player. Did you ever think you were going to have to be told in college? You know what? Maybe you should shoot a little bit more, Trey. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. And that didn't really cross my mind in high school. Because <laughs> um, you know, I mean, everyone that plays in college is kind of the guy in high school. Um, but I, I think even in high school, there were some times where um, I was passive I feel like I can make plays for others um, and drive and do things so I think that's always been part of my game was just being able to make plays for other people and that's one thing I want to keep doing but like I said when, when it comes out to me I have to be ready to knock it down and uh, I'm on the drive to be able to finish and do certain things but um, no I, ne- I never I never really thought that how much of uh, playing for your dad and your dad being your coach has molded you into what you are right now um, I think it has a lot, a lot to do with everything. I think from a young age, he's really got me in the gym and, and helped me grow the, grow the love that I have for the game now. And I think just having him around and even in college now, he, he's always just kind of giving me tips um, to help me out. And I, I think he's done enough coaching where he's been on me hard enough that, that he doesn't have to do that anymore. But it's been really great to kind of just have him be there and be supportive, um, which has been great. He, he's found ways to just watch games and, and talk about the positive things and th- things he can do to help me out. What's the last thing? What's the last piece of advice he gave you? Actually, we were just talking about the, the fouling. Uh, I think some of the things that he did, I just kind of because some of those fouls that were called were – were, were tough for me, um, especially when Hunter and boxing him out. So I think the one thing he was telling me to do was just um, when I am boxing him out, there's there's the what's the going to go to the big man. So just kind of be able to sell, sell the foul and kind of flop a little bit, not flop, but kind of just be able to sell it and maybe 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 the will come to me. But I think just being down in the stance um, on the defensive end, so I don't have to get those certain fouls. That's what, that's what some of the things he's talking about. It's uh, Trey Galloway's with us. As I mentioned, you played for your dad at Culver. Who was last out of the gym, you or your dad? Oh, he was always last out of the gym. He's he's a gym rat. He's always in there. And so I think, I mean, there, there's definitely days sometimes I'd be in there 
I'm working on my game later than he was, but um, he would love to stay, just watch film on certain certain teams and just be in there um, and be in the gym. I, I think it's 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 really cool to see because he loves the game um, as much as I do, and um, I think that that passion grew together even more as a, for him as a coach and for me as a player. Who has the highest level of of competitiveness, you or your dad? Uh, I think I got it because. It comes from my mom as well too, so I got both their competitive um, nature. Because my mom is just as big a competitor as my dad, so I think I, I think it doubled double into me. So I got I got I got more. Yeah, it's, it's funny about it's funny about that too, Trey. Because you know, we, we athleticism you have um, the high high level basketball IQ you have, but man, you are are nothing without that that competitive backbone that you have and to get that double barrel action right there has to be incredibly helpful for mom and dad for sure it is and i think just growing up with them and having them always be competitive with each other and bringing me around into it it's it's been great so is culver the military school or or right what is that like up there military yeah yes it is hey full disclosure when I was in high school back in the 80s and I did some jackass type of stuff, my mom would always say, if you don't stop, I'm going to send you to Culver. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's kind of like the, the motto it gets. Um, people think that's, it's a punishment to go to Culver, but it's really not. Um, that's, a lot, that's a lot of people with the narrative is just like, I'm going to have to send you away. That's where all the bad kids go. But no, it's not really what it is. Um, it, it, it's a great school. Um, and it, it really builds a lot of character and discipline. Um, I think that's really the, the things that I learned there are incredible, and I, I would if I had to do it again, I'd for sure do it. Um, and I think I think the relationship that I built there and the people there are just incredible. So I think everything about it is just it's special. How much of um, what you learn as far as you know discipline and integrity and all those things that they they feature at Culver and teach you off the floor has helped you evolve as a basketball player? Now you want it. I think it's helped me a lot, um, especially with the leadership aspect of the school. Um, they, they, they form great leaders and have great leaders there. And I think just that like that discipline um, of doing the little things every day has really helped me here um, at Indiana, my basketball, I think just doing the little things um, was, was, was definitely a big aspect of my, my time at Culver. So, uh, Trey Galloway with us. Before I let you go, when was the turning point? Because obviously in December there was a struggle going on, you know. And Xavier yeah. Johnson got injured at Kansas. Uh, the Arizona game didn't go well. Um, there was a struggle happening. What, what was the signature moment to turn that thing around to help get you to where you are right now? Both you and your teammates, I guess. Um, I don't think there really was like a signature moment. I think it was just uh, the overall togetherness of our group um, and us, us coming together and. And looking ourselves in the mirror, and knowing that we had to had to turn around, or our season was just going to be a waste. And I think that was the big thing for us when we lost those three games in January in a row. We came together and we really got back to work and tried to find things to do that um, would help us win. It was the little things of playing defense and going back to our discipline um, um, of our character, and our defense. And I think that was our our focus was we we had to together on the defensive end um, to help our offense, and I think that's one thing that really turned um, in the month of January and, and February. How's Trace Jackson Davis as a teammate? He's a great teammate. Um, he wants to win the worst way possible, um, and he's really become 
a great teammate and, and wants to win at all levels. So I think just having him around has, has been special because um, he, he cares about everybody. He wants everybody to succeed. So that's, that's a big part. When you have your best player, want everybody to do well. And I know you dug Culver and all, but man, there had to be you, – you, you get a little, like, shot of freedom when you first got down in Bloomington, right? You just – a little shot of freedom, yeah. maybe a little bit. Hundred percent, yeah. Because um, <laughs> listen, it, I'm from it, down it, there. Bloomington, Bloomington is a hell of a place to be. It's a good town. It is, yeah. I mean, it's different because where I'm where I'm coming from, Culver is just so structured. Everything is just so time time consuming and different things. When I got here, it's just I had a lot of stuff to do, different things I could do. So it was fun. <laughs> um, it was a good time. And I'm I'm glad I chose Indiana. There's no way that Miller Cop could have gone to. Culver, right? No way? None? Um, I think he would have thrived there. What's that? He would have loved it. Oh, he really? Thrived at Culver. Yeah, he would have thrived <laughs> Yeah. He, I think I, I tell him all the time, him and Anthony Leo will both be two guys that would love Culver and would would, would never want to leave. Man, Leo went to Bloomington South. There's no way. There's no way yeah. he's Culver material. At Bloomington I South. Think, I think he is. Yeah, he, he, he'd be able to do it. I will say this, J.R. Holmes is a hell of a coach. So, I, yeah. I mean, he played for a guy that's going to give you some discipline. But I don't know, man. He did. Hey, great great to talk with you. Get a little bit of rest. Get back on board. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not, I am not. don't want you to say this because you shouldn't, but this bracket's good looking right here. And there is a hell of an opportunity to have a great weekend in the Windy City. So get down to business yeah. and get that done. And and uh, we'll see what can happen this weekend up in Chicago. But, man, thanks for the time. Great conversation. I do appreciate yeah. that, Trey. Do it again soon. Of course. Yep. Thank you so much. Have a good one. From the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Tony East, Locked on Pacers. Tony East, SI covers the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Had a nice surprise last night. So, Will Farrell was there because he is in town or was in town taping a documentary. Uh, he was doing so over at the Beach Grove Walmart, I think, the night before. He made the game last night. I thought it was spectacular from what you saw. And 50 Cent was there. Was he propping up some kind of liquor? He was his his uh his liquor company Sire Spirits, I think's partnered with a ton of NBA teams. When I was in Sacramento earlier this season, he was there too. Regular who's who of Indy last night, JMB. It was a who's who of Indy. I like that. I like that when the who's who gets out there. Reggie Wayne was there. I think Michael Pittman Jr. was also at the game. So yeah. Big one. It'd have been nice had the Pacers brought that thing home and maybe even nicer. I mentioned this regarding the matchup with Joel Embiid. Uh, for miles uh it was a mess last night and those first two fouls you could tell once he got those and went to the bench that this was in his head once again i i have just given the simple philosophy here tony of with miles just chill mb does that to nearly everybody and he's probably going to do that to you Try to get him back on the offensive end. Try to get him to feel uncomfortable. Shoot that three. Knock it down. But, man, all this piled up in Miles's head last night, and it was a mess. Yeah, some about that matchup has been – I mean, it's killer for everybody, right? And beats averaging whatever it is now, 33 and 15 or something gross. But he does it to everybody, but for his whole career, it's been Turner's biggest demon, right? He cannot, for the life of him, have – quality outing against that guy and some of it is the way Embiid plays with 
you know, the physical play, the drawing contact, all sorts of impressive things, certainly. But you know, some of it, I think, is mental for Turner, right? He, he didn't do some of the other stuff he's done well all season last night, even when he was in the game, when Embiid wasn't it, right? And, and it gets to him. It really impacts the way he plays. And then it forces Carlisle to go, you know, every big basically played for them last night, even not including Turner. And for all the things Isaiah Jackson is good at, he is also a terrible matchup for a guy like Joel Embiid. So uh, certainly a tough outing for Turner and a, a team he's just got some demons against, right? We've seen it his whole career. And uh, I, I don't know what it will take for him to get over that hump, but I think the Pacers hope it happens at some point. He, um, he's gotten over every other hump. I will say that. Yes. He's gotten over every other hump. And he's proven organizationally to be worthy of an extension. Uh, he has proven how well he plays with his team and his new teammates. And this is a part of the process at some point. But I will also argue that the only thing that is going to really put up much of a physical fight against Joel Embiid is his weight versus his feet. That's going to be about it. <laughs> That's why he goes to the ground so much on some of those plays, right? But. Yeah, it's like you you think it takes a big guy to contain Embiid, but he's also, like, sneakily nimble. And that's what Halberton was saying last night. Like, how do you guard that guy when he's hitting fadeaway 12-footers? Like, what, what what is even possible to do? So, you know, I, I don't know what it will – every NBA team's trying to figure it out, Pacers included. But it, I think the last three times Embiid has played in Gamebridge, he scored 40 or more. I, I don't know if that's exactly what it is. Three of his last four or something like that, but – uh, yeah, he he just has killed this franchise for for years and years. And I always think back to when Dan Burke was an assistant with the Pacers, and he said that you know, he thinks Embiid gets away with a lot of crap. And now Dan Burke's on the 76ers yeah. sidelines coaching him. So I always think of that full circle moment. It's pretty funny when they're in town. He does, though. He does. And there's nothing more entertaining than watching Joel Embiid shoot 20 free throws, right? <laughs> NBA action is fantastic. I, I, I understand fans completely hating the way the Sixers play. Uh, it's, it's such a it's such a grinded out kind of game, and the, the other reason it's so tricky is like he made them all. <laughs> he went nineteen for yeah. nineteen, right? It's, yeah. it's not even like a viable strategy like it is with some of these other big men. It's just a very frustratingly talented player to play against. Yeah, it is. Last night and uh, I, I, Halliburton was fantastic once again. I, I want to double back though, if you wouldn't mind, to that Chicago game the day prior. I don't know what you thought about this, and, and nobody made too much about of it, so it's over now, and I understand. But I, what Patrick Beverly did uh, coming down the, the possession before the winning possession with Halliburton knocking down that three in his grill, he purposely put his foot there in his landing area. Did anybody oh, ever man. ask that? That was purposely done to injure him. And the Pacers are incredibly fortunate that that didn't happen. Was anything ever made out of that? I actually couldn't see that landing particularly well from where our seats were, so I wasn't aware that it was that egregious in the moment. Uh, but, you know, there, I think all the questions were more about just whatever little Internet beef they have going on because, you know, when Beverly was here with the Lakers at the beginning of February, he said he called Halliburton a first-year player and said that he took disrespect from Halliburton saying something about him. I can't remember exactly what he said, so – you know, Halliburton chimed back on Twitter after that Bulls game. He hit the game winner right over him. I don't know about all that part of it. I think someone asked Tyrese about uh, whatever their relationship is in the locker room after the game. But uh, I didn't realize that, that that foul was so egregious in the moment. And he was certainly in pain, right? He limped yeah. off, I thought, for a second. It was a little worse. He got tended to on the bench. He certainly responded well if it was 
he did. a personal attack or an unreasonable foul. I, 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 I think what J.J. called in the question to Halliburton after the game was an aggressive closeout. I, I thought that it was just purposely done. He put his yeah. foot in the landing area purposely of Halliburton. And I, I think probably the reason why more wasn't made is because Halliburton was okay and then because Halliburton went out there and stuck one in his grill for the win. <laughs> 30 feet out right yeah. in his face. It worked out so perfectly, too, for, like, you know, the highlight era of the NBA that we're in that as Halliburton is celebrating and walking up the floor, Beverly walks right between him and the camera. So it's just a perfect shot at the moment. I, yeah, I'd have to look back at the actual landing on that foul, though. I mean, certainly when you land on a guy, usually you, you think about uh, the Zaza Pachulia Kawhi Leonard flat out from the Western Conference Finals a few years ago. And that one kind of started the landing space rule changes. And that one was funky because Zaza Pachulia is so big, he couldn't really control himself running out to that guy. But certainly with a guard, you'd think he'd have a little more control. So I'd have to look at it again. Uh, Tony East uh, covers the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What are we to uh, get out? What do they have? 17, 18 games remaining? Where are we right now? Uh Ooh, sheesh. Yeah, 17, I think, is the number. Yeah. What uh, what are we to gather out of what remains? I I constantly have to debate against, oh, you don't want them to make the play in. You don't want them to do that. I just want them to play. And I want them to go out there and give themselves a chance to win. Like against Chicago, I love the fact that they closed on the road. That's a part of the growth process. I wanted to see that. I wanted to see that maybe a little bit more closely done against a good team last night. They weren't unable to do that against Philadelphia. But what are we to gather out of the remaining 17 or so games left here? Yeah, you hear a lot of chatter with a team in the Pacers situation about, you know, focusing on development and giving young guys minutes and all that kind of stuff. And I hear the importance of that, certainly. The Pacers are, are already kind of doing that, right? Like Daniel Tice is, is no longer playing, and now the backup bigs are Smith and Jackson again. And it just so happens their best couple players who, you know, are constantly leading them to wins that have them ahead of expectations are, you know, 26, 21, 23 years old, like, you'd play them anyway, regardless of what your goals are in your last 17 games. If you're trying to win, you'd play them. And if you're trying to develop, you play them. So it almost just seems like you kind of just said it. You know, you let the cards fall where they may and just kind of play out the season, see what it is. And I think the voice the team has, has made clear is they do want that play-in, play-off, whatever kind of experience, right? They have so many guys on this team in the rotation, newly acquired, whoever, that – have never played in, a- in any meaningful game, not even a play-in game for that extent. Halliburton, Duarte, uh, everybody they drafted this year and last year, really, which is a bunch of the rotation. Buddy Heald never has, right? So it, it provided a ton of value in that way, especially for a team clearly on the ascent in year one of a bill. That I also understand that a high draft pick would go a long way for this franchise, right? And so, you know, there's kind of, it's kind of a win-win where, you know, you're kind of doing both at once. Kevin Pritchard said it at the trade deadline that, they can develop and win at the same time. And I think that's what they're going to try to do, which is keep their young guys out there, get them reps together, growing and improving the team while also just kind of letting the cards fall where they may, which this season has been, you know, 11th, 12th best team in the East. All right, Tony, teaching moments for Benedict Matherin. Certainly he's back to getting those minutes again. So I'm assuming the point uh, has gotten across to him as the end of his rookie season is on the horizon here. I'm also curious about this, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I watch them consistently, and it does seem like when he's in there, there is less back-and-forth chatter he's having with the officials than maybe he did a month or a month and a half ago. Have you noticed that too? Uh, that is something that he did 
a little too much, I would say, early in the season. That yeah, he's gotten he's gotten better about it, among many things that you know he's had to improve. And just focusing on the game, right? A young player focusing on getting better and all sorts of things that you know Carlisle and the staff are having him work on. I think that had had to be among them, right? I think the funniest yeah. one in retrospect was when. I forget who they played when he hit the layup and he was actually celebrating and thought he got fouled and the play was still happening, right? Like, you know, you got to get up and be ready for ones like that. I wish I could remember who that was against. They ended up winning that game, so it, it wasn't an issue. But, uh, you know, th- that kind of stuff. That, was, that the Cel- was that the Celtics game that they lost? Maybe it wasn't. Was it? Maybe it was. Yeah. I, I was thinking maybe the Bulls game right before the all Might, might like be, that. yeah. Might be that. Yeah, I, either way, it was a huge play and – you know, it's just kind of who he is where he's learning all that sort of little stuff, right? And I think that, you know, the, the, the talk of his minutes and playing time, I think you know, the San Antonio game, he only played 15 minutes or something like that. There was a heat game last month. He was around 13. And people ask a lot of questions about those games, and I understand why completely, right? He plays 28 minutes a game. You're trying to develop him. He's good now. Why is he only playing that little? And Carlisle has always stressed accountability, right? If you're working on something with a guy and he, I, he doesn't do it in a game or it doesn't you know, helping the team win, and you're not you're not building the habits they want to build if you just let guys keep running out there and and making mistakes of the things you're working on, right? That's kind of the point that they have made. So, you know, it's only been two games. He's still playing a ton every game. I I understand the frustration for fans, but I also totally understand why the Pacers do it the way they do. And and I think Matherin is taking taking those messages and making making himself a better player with it. How is the evolution of Wara going here in the last week or so? <laughs> It is such a change for him going from the Bucks, who play so slow and play through, you know, their star creators, where his job was, you know, kind of relocate on the perimeter and find your space for threes, right? To the Pacers, which is, you know, you're, you, the second you have the ball, you're sprinting for, you know, 15 seconds, and he's dribbling inside the arc and is tasked with more rebounding now because he's playing the four instead of the three. Like everything about his change was pretty dramatic stylistically right and at first I think uh, he said that I think every time he did any media availability was just it's way faster all this kind of thing he has to adjust to and then I think after the break when he got a few practices under his belt with this team he's been really good right he was fantastic in Orlando in a win last week really good in Dallas was good uh, starting the last two games with Aaron D. Smith out and so I think he's kind of adjusted to the system and shown where he can help this team, right? A perimeter threat at the four, something that this team has kind of wanted for a while, and he's been doing a much better job fitting in, knowing where he needs to go because Halliburton can get you the ball at any time and putting the ball on the floor after shot fakes. And I think the thing that, that I've talked about the most when I talked about him or what's impressed me the most is the rebounding, right, for a team that has been just horrible on the glass all season, probably their biggest kryptonite all year. He's been a guy that you know has found a nose for the ball in the paint, whether that's his own miss, his teammates miss, an opponent miss. He's been good at, at scooping those up. It's almost like a poacher in soccer to an extent where he can just find space to get the ball on the glass. And for a Pacers team that plays a little small, they need someone like that. So that's where I think he's been the most impressive and kind of stood out and found a way to, to find his niche on this team because once he got the speed down, his offense has been there, but the rebounding has been, I think, a pleasant surprise. It's uh, Tony East there of Locked On Pacers, Tony East of SI. And Tony East got to hang out with Will Ferrell last night. He looked like he was having a good time. He was shooting before the game, and you know I know he did semi-pro and probably had to work on some basketball stuff for the movie. But his form's actually yeah, pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like honestly, he looks like he looks like a, a dude that's pretty cool. He looks like a cool guy for the type of star status that he maintains. 
it, it takes a lot to be like relatable, right? When you're a celebrity of that status at a game, but he put on these two pins that like have a pacer, have Boomer the Pacers mascot on them, and it says "My First Game" in big capital letters, which I thought was pretty funny that he was <laughs> leaning into that, just trying to be your typical fan who also happens have to be Will Ferrell, right? So he, he was pretty funny. I think the video uh, the Pacers put up on social media where he was try, trying to get someone to drink his beer in the locker before the game was quite funny as well. Was um, Is this going to be – is this game or that last night going to be a part of this documentary or was that just him <laughs> going? I The docu crew was uh, there. There was a lot of camera crews in the house. So I, I don't know how much of it is going to be footage they actually use. I, I guess I don't even really know the subject matter besides – that he's just you know traveling around the country, but uh, I assume some of it would be there, just given what what the project seems like it is. But again, I don't I don't have enough details to know. But you know, it, my friends were joking when I told them that he was there. They said, "Did you walk by the cameras all night? Are you going to be in it?" I said, "No, I don't. I don't think I made the cut." <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, though. I don't, maybe it's going to end up being some kind of Borat thing. <laughs> I, I'm not. I really don't know what the, yeah. the subject matter is, but he, he's going everywhere, so yep. I, I'm sure it'll be in Will Ferrell fashion a pretty funny project. Tony, I appreciate you as always, man. We'll do it again soon. <laughs> Joining us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline as we welcome you back in here. Of course, busy day of talking Colts future quarterbacks, Pacers, Sixers last night. College basketball forthcoming with that Big Ten Conference Tournament, then the NCAA Selection Sunday, followed by the NCAA Tournament. That and more we'll discuss right now from Fox 59. Here's the longtime sports director there. It is our good friend Chris Hagan. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hey, John. You know, in addition to being my birthday month, March is the best when you think about sports. I mean, obviously, no really off-season or downtime for the NFL. They've got it lined up. You know, they go Super Bowl, Combine, Draft, and on down the line. They even have, you know, the big primetime show to announce the schedule. So, no downtime there. But then you factor in the high school uh, basketball ramping up with sectionals and moving on. Then you've got college basketball. You know about the Pacers. They're playing well. Maybe not uh, winning the games, but still being entertaining, as it was the case last night with the Sixers. And, of course, spring training, uh, getting that baseball right around the corner. So, yeah, this is a great time to be alive and be a sports fan. Yeah, no doubt about that, too. And I'm, I'm glad you're not uh, yeah, bringing up again. I've been talking about the Embiid versus Miles from last night. And yeah, when I'm, I'm thinking about it with, from a standpoint of Miles, uh, you can tell um, how this and that matchup is in his head. There's no doubt about that. I, I just wish the next time they play, I want to see him kind of chill a little bit and maybe let the game come a little bit more to him, not so much try to just do some uncharacteristic things. I thought, especially after those first two fouls last night, 33 was all out of whack, Chris. Yeah, and I don't want to misquote Quinn Buckner on the broadcast last night, but at one point he said, he said Miles is sensitive. sensitive. He said something, yeah, yeah, he said something that, that really caught my attention that was surprising that he would say it on the air like that. But yeah, Miles has been playing some of his basketball, best basketball of his career, and I know a lot of people were excited about what that matchup last night was going to be, uh, and it didn't, you know, one, one end of the bargain wasn't uh, kept. 
I would just say this, and, and I have all day, this is something that, that Embiid does to everybody, all right? He does it to everybody, and, you know, I, I hear all the time, well, if Miles really wants to be, you know, a great defensive player, oh, okay, whatever. If Miles wants to be, he's not a great defensive player. If he gets chewed up by Joel Embiid, then there are not a lot of great defensive players out there as big guys that guard him because he chews absolutely everybody up. I can't stand the dude, don't get me wrong, but he is an absolute force in the NBA, and I just I wish Miles would take the approach. And I, I heard what Quinn said last night. You know, he kind of alluded to a, a sensitivity there. I just think that it's something that Miles absolutely knows that Embiid has had ownership over that matchup, and he's had so much go right, and I mean consistently right for consistency-wise, Chris, the first time here. And he gets extended, and he really wants to go out there and play well. And from the opening tip, it didn't for him. And it, it that, to me, owns him. Just that thought of having to deal with it and knowing that Embiid's going crazy on the other side kind of owns him as much as Embiid has in these matchups. And I know it's easy for me to say, but just, just kind of chill out play you know take some outside shots try to force him out bring him out a little bit and you're not get so carried away thinking about how many points he has or that matchup in which you're taking the beating on and see if that changes things a little bit i just thought he was a little bit too wound up a couple of different times last night yeah and we've seen this at all levels of sports it's so much of it can be psychological uh look at early uh, in Peyton Manning's career when he, you know, he, well, he just can't beat the Patriots. He can't beat the Patriots. Uh, you know, and that doesn't mean Peyton Manning wasn't playing great bath, uh, great football in, during those seasons when he first had the struggles. And then, you know, it, it's just something that can happen. Uh, something gets, you know, in your head. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on with miles. You, you know, you have everybody there. You have, I mean, Will Farrell and 50 center in the house, John, you want to perform <laughs> well, you want to do your best. Uh, so, yeah, it was just one of those things. And once it didn't start well, we saw how it went from there, kind of snowballed and, and just turned into a very forgettable night. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Chris Higgins via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So it was 11 years on this date, and you and I were there. And it is still incredibly surreal to me to have been there. And, and as equal to surreal as it was to see, because I was a part of the whole Bob Knight thing, as you were too when he was fired. But watching 11 years ago Peyton Manning be released by the Colts and going to that press conference still takes a little bit of a bite out of me. You know what's also strange about that is, um, and I don't know if Manning planned it this way, but it was seven years ago today that Peyton was saying goodbye to the uh, Broncos. So something, something about March 7th. But it, it is when – when and Peyton had always said, you know, his dad, Archie, had bounced around to a bunch of different teams at the end of his career. And it meant a lot. He wanted to be one, one team, one franchise, and that's just not how it played out. And I think it worked out in the short term. It worked out the way he wanted because Peyton went on to two more Super Bowls, won an MVP, won another Super Bowl – and the Colts got Andrew Luck. But you just wonder what would have been. I mean, I think we saw how, how Luck had to run for his life and paid for it later in life uh, for that team. Uh, if, if you had they, – they broke the whole thing up that year. They got, you know, a lot of goodbyes to, you know, faces of the franchise. So the world may never know and will never know what that would have been like keeping Peyton or if they tried to trade that pick and, you know, build back or whatever. But uh, – However it went, I think Peyton, it went well for him. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's still, though, weird to be saying, hey, uh, Peyton's piecing out of here. We'll see you later. It was, it was odd to see it. Here's the other thing, too. Looking back on it 11 years ago, and then now knowing what has transpired with the Colts over those 11 years, what would you have done? Would you have done it all over again? You think Jim Irsay would have done that all over again? Kind of uh, bitten the bullet, so to speak, right there, kept Manning on board, bypassed luck. You think that would have been the play now, looking at it, as we do 11 years ago? Well, it wasn't like, you know, you, you know, you had the Manning or Ryan Leaf, and the Colts made the right pick. It wasn't like the Colts made the wrong pick with luck Instead of like, I know some people were all about RG3, but I mean, you got the right guy. It just didn't work out. He got beat up and he, he retired. Maybe he doesn't retire. He told me when I talked to him in, in Vegas a couple of months ago, uh, Luck told me he fully expected to play until his 40s like these guys like, like Brady had done. Um, so what could you have gotten back then if, you, if everybody's saying this is the greatest quarterback prospect you know, in, in decades, you would have looked completely stupid if you traded that pick and then Luck goes on to a 15-year Hall of Fame career somewhere else, I mean, the benefit of hindsight, you're like, oh, okay, this yeah. is how this is going to go. Let's let's get a million, let's get a Herschel Walker type deal and trade this number one pick. Uh, you, I mean, imagine if you put that on the block, what the 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 market for that pick would have skyrocketed, and maybe you get you know three or four more years out of Peyton, which is what he had in him, but you you didn't know how healthy Peyton was going to be. You had this can't miss quarterback prospect. I mean, even if you went back to it now, if, if Jim Irsay had a time machine, I think you still go ahead and draft Andrew Luck and hope things play out differently. I say this. I, I think, and, and mind you, you go to a different organization and you know maybe they offer up better protection, whatever. The problem with the better protection is one thing, but I still think that Andrew Luck was going to be every bit as reckless as he was as a football player because that's really what he knew up until he got tired of dealing with the repercussions of being reckless, Chris, with the football on the football field. Yeah, I remember one time he executed a a quarterback slide and the crowd at Lucas Oil like erupted in cheers (laughs) as if he had thrown a 90-yard touchdown. They were like, yes, he's got it. But you can't can't turn off that that switch, you know, that you can't flip that switch when that's how you've played your whole life. That's how you've attacked everything your whole life, not just football. You know, that's the kind of guy Andrew was. He was uh, he was all out all the time. And, you know, he paid the price for it. And you, you think about that magical run they had with Bruce Arians as interim head coach. And uh, I talked to Arians on media, on Radio Road Super Bowl. And he said, that was an awful team. That was an awful football team <laughs> in 2012. And yet they won 11 games and went to the playoffs. And, and the, the franchise, the fans enjoyed those miraculous wins. But – you know, Luck's body paid the price for that. And, you know, that, that things he did in that season helped limit his career moving down the line. So, you know, like the old uh, Quaker State commercial, you can pay me now or pay me later, and that, that's what happened with Andrew Luck and the Colts. Yeah, I, I don't know. I bet a lot of people, if they had a do-over, knowing what everybody knows right now, that they would stick with Manning. And obviously that's knowing the future and hindsight being 2020 in this case. But I bet a lot of people around here knowing what they know, and this also is because of the way that things with luck ended here, how he went out here. Uh, But I bet most people around here would say, yeah, you know what, I wish now they just would have stuck with Manning and uh, and maybe saw that out till, till the absolute end. 
Well, what would you have? What would uh, Ryan Grigson have done with six picks that he got for that Andrew Luck trade? Would, <laughs> yeah. would you be happy with you know that? I mean, he did have, but Peyton, if all things being the same, yeah. uh, Peyton would have had a T.Y. Hilton and a Reggie Wayne to throw the ball to. He would have had uh, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener. I mean, they went out and got a bunch of a bunch of weapons in that draft. And even before he got hurt, Vic Ballard led the team in rushing and had some memorable plays for the Colts. So they they were offense heavy in that draft, and some players that you know, quite frankly, you didn't get as much out of them as you expected to when when you go out there and make all those picks. Yeah, the owner made the pick for luck, made that decision. And I think Bruce Arians had more in on T.Y. Helton than anybody at the time. I think people would tell you that within the organization. But they found some things in that particular draft. But, again, you look back on it, hindsight is going to be 2020 there. It's just kind of interesting. This date in history around here is is meaningful to me because being at that press conference, you just thought, what in the hell is going on here? You really did. And then you got the, the careful Pey- Peyton Manning, the, the quote, I love being your quarterback. And, you know, they get – Everybody got a little choked up, like, you know, even Peyton, who always has a brave face on, that, that yeah. hit him realizing that moment where, like, hey, that, this is it. I'm, I'm never going to be in a Colt uniform again. Yeah, he probably walked, walked out and got in the back room and said, and I'm going to F all you guys up here in a couple of years, too. <laughs> it is funny because remember – Great he decision. Left <laughs> he left that, and then he flew away, and, like, there were helicopters flying in. He, he had to pull over his car just to talk to him. So he, he knew, like – they got a helicopter. They're going to be able to. We're not going to be able to lose these people. And he's going. I think he was in Miami. He was going down there to talk to them. And you know, it was just the the crazy. Uh, you know, where will Peyton end up? And then as it worked out, he goes to Denver. And I was already going to Andrew Luck's pro day. So then it was two days before that they changed my flight. I fly to Denver and I'm at the press conference where he's introduced as a Bronco. And then uh, two days later. I'm watching the, the the next franchise quarterback for the Colts. I'm watching him uh, dazzle on his pro day in, at Stanford. It's uh, Chris Hagan of Fox 59, the sports director. I know you guys are going to be out and about for the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Of course, Selection Sunday and then the NCAA Tournament. Now, are you go- who are you going to be following? Do you know yet as far as the tournament's concerned? Well, I, t- I can tell you this. Seeing as how my, uh, my mom and my brothers live in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm keeping a keen eye on that uh, first-round site. So if somebody goes to Birmingham, you can, you can bet your bottom dollar I will be going on that trip. I think it's pretty safe to say that Purdue will be headed to uh, Columbus and maybe IU ends up in uh, Birmingham. But other than that, we'll, have, uh, we'll, follow, we'll be up in uh, Chicago for the tournament, and it's, it's interesting that we get the, the double buy for both teams, so that saves the, that saves the company some money, John. What, one last night in the hotel, <laughs> but – the way it shakes out, we were talking about this yesterday. It looks like Purdue and IU should be favored to make it to Sunday and, and square off for a third time. That'd be great. Can you imagine the? Can you imagine the reaction from both fan bases if somehow they play a third time and IU sweeps a, a three-game set with uh, the Boilers, who have spent a couple times at, at number one in the nation? And I think it would be good mentally if, if Purdue got to play that game. And, and, and beat IU. So it'd be great storylines either way, whoever won that game. But, of course, they got to win a couple of games to get there. But I think it's it's interesting the way it shakes out, whether on opposite sides of the bracket, they both get the double bye. So they'll have fewer games to play and a great chance to see them get together on Sunday and then see how the chips fall. I, I think IU could maybe creep their way up to the three line 
if they were to win win a couple games there and win the uh, the championship. So it'd be interesting. Purdue falls could fall to a two. IU plays yep. their way to a three. And then you could hope and expect perhaps uh, deep runs by both of them in the big dance. Uh, you could crap the bed, though, and probably fall to a five if they're not careful on Friday night in that late game. Just maybe. Yeah. Hopefully not. But I will tell you this. If IU and Purdue make it to that championship Sunday in, in that matchup, I might be swinging from my own sports arousal on Sunday. That'd be awesome, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's, what's, what's fun about sports and also frustrating about sports is you know it's not going to happen. Because like when you, when you look at this and you, you plan ahead and go, wow, this is going to be great. We'll have this on Sunday. That's when somehow Maryland yeah. hits a, a buzzer beater to beat IU in that late game or somehow Purdue blows a 20-point lead to, to Michigan or Rutgers. That, that's what happens when you look forward to something. But that I is think, so right. I think, I, I, yeah. I did the same thing with Indiana State. Hey, I can't wait. I got to get home on Saturday. The Sycamores and Bradley. And you know, it was a close game. They barely lost, but that's, I think, the point. They lost. You, it, yeah, when you look forward to something like that, it actually happens. It seems like rarely does it ever live up to it. And most of the time, it kind of bites you in your ass. And that, that's why nobody ever wins gambling, you know, because you, you think, well, surely this will happen and this will happen. And then you have, you have crazy things that come to pass. But I, I think it does on paper, and nothing ever gets played on paper. I think it looks good for both of them. As long as they get through Friday, I think they'll be good, both winning on Saturday and getting to Sunday. But uh, it is these two teams, IU and Purdue, they've shown stretches where you're like, man, these are, these are two of the you know, these top five, top ten teams when things are going well and then you see some moments where you're like oh no this this is bad news because <laughs> you've seen some you've seen some bad losses not necessarily against the teams they've been playing but just some bad basketball from each of these squads over the last couple of weeks and and you've seen some great basketball i i think if this tournament's played a month ago i think purdue is like in great shape but i, I think you know lately they've had some struggles i hope they the the young guards can get their mojo back uh, obviously Edie's going to be Edie, but uh I think, you know, when you when your team spends time at number one in the nation a couple of times, if you don't get to the Sweet 16 and beyond, you start thinking that's that's a disappointing season and that's what, where the borders are right now. Chris Hagan with us. Final thing, does Chris Ballard trade up, trade back, or stay put? Well, he seemed to be talking as if he thinks the guy they want will be there at four, which makes you wonder – well, if you're so sure he's going to be there at four, is this the guy that everybody else thinks is going to be the guy? It's, I know so, his name. His name is Will Levis. That's who it is. Yeah. I was listening to uh, – I, I, some guy gave me grief when I was on the on the radio with you last week when I was talking out on I don't believe Levis is the guy. Yeah. And he pointed out, well, you know, he lost his offensive coordinator and he was banged up. And that's true. He he was much better the year before than he was. Well, he'll fit he'll fit right in here then. So, yeah. yeah. If uh, it's <laughs> – no, just because you have all the the raw talent doesn't mean you're the guy to to do it. You know, yeah. Look at all the raw talent that um, that Ryan Leaf had. Just pure talent. You know, got the big arm, got the size, looks the part. But not everybody who looks the part fits the part. So I mean, uh, as you know, when the Colts do well, it's good for business for me and you. So if if they get Levis, I hope he's a 15 year pro and he's the new Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes combined, and everybody's happy. But I, I don't think, and you can, you can mark it on the tape, so when, when Levis is going into the Hall of Fame 20 years from now, I don't think he's that guy. That's just my opinion. So, staying put, trading up, trading back. 
Stay in put is well, what you're saying, right? I think I think they're staying put. I do too. I think if I think if they could trade back with somebody like two spots, like they did when they when they knew they could get uh, Quentin Nelson when yeah. they traded back. I think if they still feel like their guy, be it Levis or whomever, I think they'll trade back a couple of spots. I think they traded back what three spots to get Nelson. Um, I think they'll do that, but that that requires a, a good poker face and knowing that somebody's not going to come in and. And, uh, you know, you trade back, then somebody else trades up, and you lose your guy. So it'll be interesting to see. You kind of have to have your draft board, and then you're kind of guessing on everybody else's draft board. But, yeah, I think, I think they stay at four, and I do think they, uh, they take Levis. And you hope that uh, Sugar Shane Steichen is the guy to, uh, to get him where he needs to be. I just lost a bet with James here. I thought, sure, uh, I could get through this entire interview without my email ping. Well, and I lost yeah, out. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. And you know what the irony? The irony of that is that was uh, Todd Meyer, our executive producer, sending out an email that I'm going to be out for a funeral coming up on Thursday. That's the irony of it. Hey, uh, on on, uh, on a similar note, I wanted to, to let people know that uh, tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m. Wednesday at the Entry Pavilion at the Fieldhouse is going to be a celebration of life for uh, your friend and mine, Dave, David Benner. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get out there to that, and I think. It'd be nice to have uh, some folks out there, some Pacer fans. Hopefully, a lot of media members show up there too, just because how much he meant to all of us and how how great he was to deal with throughout the the, the years. Certainly did. Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna miss DB a great deal too. And you guys got all the all the final check that all the Big Ten coverage, all the NCAA selection Sunday coverage, all that crap coming up Sunday, right? You guys got it all. We'll be there, yeah, on CBS4. We'll have the coverage on Fox 59 and CBS4. We'll have games. We'll have the selection show. We'll have all of it. And uh, But before that, John, let's, yes. let's enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy the games. Uh, I'm excited. You know, let's see what Ball State can do. Let's see Butler. Let's see Notre Dame, perhaps the final game ever for Mike Bray with the Irish. So a lot to get to between now and Sunday. We'll enjoy that. And then – uh, I know on Fox 59 on Sunday night, either via Zoom from your palatial estate or maybe in person if you can you can dust off the mothballs from the one suit you own, you and I will break down the, the bracket and, and see what we think and who's going where. I'll bring the cat in studio. Zeke can come in studio, too. Like he Ze- made Zeke, uh, Zeke, who took a nosedive last week, <laughs> just completely. I think Zeke realized it was live TV and decided just to bail. I, I knew I should have dug a well right there, too. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Laney. I say that all the time. Hey, thanks a lot, Laney. This is your fault. So, Laney's trying to create some viral TikTok moments. She's trying to, she's trying to help the brand. Uh, buddy, I appreciate you, Chris. We'll talk again here soon. Hopefully, uh, see everybody coming up tomorrow down at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. All right, John. Thanks, man. We'll see you. You got it, Chris Hagan, right there. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he, among other things, the Colts post-game show host. So, trade up, trade back, stay at four. I'm asking you this right now. What do you think Chris Ballard and company will do? Trade up. And again, I think there is also a scenario where they don't have to get to one. I think they could get to two. Now, let me explain. They're not trading with the Houston Texans. Houston's not going to trade with them. I could see a scenario where the Bears trade with Houston. Houston ensures they get what they want at one, and then the Bears continue to deal. They want to go too far down the line. I could see the Bears then making the deal with the Colts at the number four position as well. So whether it's getting to to one, two, or three, 
I'm all for trading up to get the guy you want. I am all for getting the guy that you want. It's just one of those things where I'm going to see it when I believe it. I mean, yeah, parting, no. parting with really anything pick-wise, um, I'll see it when I believe it, I guess. And I and I am not of the opinion, and again, this is the time of year where you're trying to drive up that value if you're Chicago as much as you can. Yep. And you don't care who, you know, obviously you care what level of pick you're getting back this year. You don't want to fall too far down the first round. But I understand why they're trying to get three ones out of it. I get it. It, it is a seller's market. But am I, am I trading three first-round picks for that pick? No. Uh, but would I trade a couple and, and probably a second-round pick and then a, another third-day pick at some point this year next? Yeah, I probably would. I get everything that you're saying. I still think the need and the situation has to overcome the way business has been done the last six years. Greg Raystraw joins us. IU or Purdue? Big Ten title opportunity here. Who's this better, in your opinion? In terms of the tournament? In terms of the tournament, my good man. I don't think it frankly matters to either one of them, to be to be blunt. Um, I realize that the tournament history has been worse for IU. It would be kind of nice to, to, to check that box. Um, you know, Purdue, to some degree, is playing for potentially a number one seed. I'm not sure that's that big of a deal at, at this point. I think for them, it's, hey, if you win, great. And if not, let's get on to the next one and, and, and know it's the real thing. And if you're Indiana, again, you can check a box in terms of trying to do something you've not done and be successful in a Big Ten tournament. Your season is still going to be judged as to what happens in the NCAA tournament. So I, I think both these teams honestly can kind of play a little free Friday if they get to Saturday, then on to Sunday and if it's each other or, you know, they have a chance to play for a championship, then Sunday is a big deal. But it's honestly kind of a house money round, I think, for both of them because so much of what their season is going to be remembered by isn't this week but what starts next week. So I'm getting a little ice water bath on my sports arousal potential for Sunday here. Why are you doing that to me? Come I'm, on, I'm, man. I'm sorry to ruin your sports chub. I apologize. <laughs> um, hey, come on, know. man. I want to see so, round three. Let's go. It, if they get to round three, then it's a big deal, okay? Seriously. If they both get to Sunday, then you can get all fired up. You, you can find a CBS version of Skinamax to watch the game and have yourself a good old time. Um, if they get to each other on Sunday, great. And if not, be, be blank D as far as I'm concerned. I, I assume that you did not mention that as a possibility because you really don't believe that to be a possibility. Is that true? Um, again, I I think it's a possibility, and, and, and I think frankly, there's almost any permutation in the Big Ten other than like Minnesota making a deep run, just because I don't think there's that big of a gap. There's a gap from Purdue to everybody else. There's a gap from Minnesota in the other direction, everybody else. And two through thirteen, I don't think there's that big of a difference this year. And again, I I, I think this is a year where. The Big Ten's going to get a lot of teams in the, in the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure how many of them are going to go far. I think Purdue and Indiana will go farther than most, but I think there's a whole lot of average this year in the Big Ten, which means Wednesday through Sunday, Lord knows what might happen. And let the records reflect of this show on this Tuesday that in mathematics, a permutation is a set of loosely speaking an arrangement of its members into a sequence or linear order. Or if the set is already ordered, a rearrangement of its elements. Now, was this the math class you passed at UND? Because that's pretty impressive. Oh, I just Wikipedia that while you were talking right there because I didn't know what it meant. (laughs) 
Okay, because I, I, I knew you required some assistance in math, and, and then hence you were in Indiana State and in, in the you know in Vincennes at, at the conclusion of, of that assistance. So I, I thought you did actually learn something in that. I was class. I was working my uh, Rubik's cube or that. Remember that little uh, thing that you could slide around the numbers, and you had a. You remember that little thing to slide around the plastic numbers. That's, is that a protractor? Is that, is that what you're talking about? No, it's that little square thing. It was a game where you slid around oh, these plastic okay. numbers. I, it had numbers on it, so there was no way in hell I was playing it. But a lot of people did back then, and they tended to be somebody that wa- would be rather uh, rather strong in, in terms of mathematics, I guess. Well, I would I would qualify for the nerdery of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure the Rakestraw family or the financial wherewithal to provide that to me uh, back in those, in those days. All right, so a, a one... And a four, is that going to be the outcome of IU-Purdue come Selection Sunday? Maybe a little bit more work for either one? I mean, obviously, if Purdue were to lose on Friday, that probably will jeopardize, depending upon what happens to everybody else, the one line here. But what do you think Selection Sunday will hold as far as numbers for both of these teams? So, again, I I think Purdue is going to be a, a four or five not, not not seed, but like overall in the country. In other words, I think they're like the okay. last one, or they're the first two. So I think that's really kind of what they're playing. That there's not much wiggle room, you know, for them at this point. It's going to be one of those kind of two overall slots would be my guess. And again, I th- I think for Indiana, I think they're on the four or five line. I don't think they're going to go any worse than a five. Uh, if if they make a run, they're probably going to be a four. And again, let's acknowledge that so much of the seeding work at the top of the bracket is done Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In other words, if Indiana gets the championship game on Sunday afternoon, what's to say that their seat already hasn't been locked up and determined at that point with the selection show coming 30 minutes or so after the conclusion of that championship game. So I, I think you're pretty much spot on on that. So Greg Graystraws with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, so the sectional play is is now done. We go to the regional round. Is the regional round just like that of what we saw with the girls a month ago? That is correct. So you, you're going to the same sites, and there was still a draw for that. So, like, for example, in Indianapolis, the winner of sectional 9, which was New Pal, is playing the winner of sectional 12, which is Brownsburg, the winner of sectional 10, Cathedral, playing the winner of sectional 11 in Ben Davis. That was still a draw that was done back at the pairing show, the first one, on February the 19th. But you play one game. So, like, again, I'll, I'll be at Southport on Saturday afternoon. There will be a 1 o'clock game. There will be trophies handed out. Nets will be cut. Celebration will be had. Floor is cleared, not the gym. You don't, you don't have to leave. You can you can sit around and watch. But game number two is not going to start until 4 o'clock. So, for the teams, you play once this Saturday and that's it. Then you get to next Saturday and hope to play twice. Because if you win twice, you're going to the state championship game. What impressed you about either what you witnessed or what went on around the state this past weekend? You know, um, you know, I was at Warren Central, and Cathedral looked awfully good. Now, they, they are a different team than last year because there is no substitute for a Tayshawn Comer. You know, he was such a great point guard at the high school level, and Cathedral doesn't have anything close to that this year. I mean, they've got three Division One athletes that start uh, in terms of uh, Jake Davis, Xavier Booker, Jerron Tibbs, and then you bring in a kid like Kamari Slaughter who transfers in from Portage, great score, great add for them, and Sincere Germany is a, a solid player. Nobody's a true point guard. Uh, and so now that is the concern for Cathedral. Talent-wise, they match up with anybody, namely Ben Davis, in the state, where they don't match up as the point guard spot. And so 
can Ben Davis defensively do enough to hound Cathedral's guards where that mismatch is the deciding factor as those two teams have a rematch coming up uh, on Saturday afternoon? New Pal and Brownsburg, as you mentioned, also at Southport. That's a 1 o'clock tip. Have these two teams played before? They have never played before. That's incredible. Uh, just, That's to incredible. To my knowledge, exactly. What, what, what it also does, it kind of shows – you know that that you know New Pal has never had that really a deep run in in boys basketball the way they have in other sports, um, and obviously that is a as a community that's still growing. You know they really have just kind of solidified themselves in terms of being a four A school year in year out over the course of the last five or six years. Um, but but those are two very good teams. Brownsburg is a team that I think is a state championship contender next year. Uh, just because of how good Cannon Catchings will continue to be. They do lose one senior in El Haj Diallo off their team this year, but they virtually bring almost everybody else back that sees major minutes. So Brownsburg can be a factor now, um, but but I, I, again, next year I, I think it's probably close to being their year. And New Palace, a team that didn't lose to the end of January, early February. Um, and, and that area... This is probably the best that Hancock County has ever been in hoops because Greenfield's the best they were in 20 years. Mount Vernon started three freshmen and, and made the sectional championship game. So New Pal played their usual schedule, but that usual schedule was better than it would be in most years. So, you know, that, that is not a JV slash varsity game. Those are, you know, a doubleheader. Those are two teams that are really good that are playing in the 1 o'clock game as well. So Bloomington North has that Roberts kid that's going to Vanderbilt, and they beat, they beat Center Grove in the sectional last week. So it's Bloomington North and Columbus North at 7 o'clock in Seymour. But I did want to ask you about this because I guess maybe it's just me that may be interested. But I know they have a first-year head coach at Evansville Wrights. Evansville Wrights and Jennings County. I do know the last time Wrights was really good. And obviously they lost to uh, the late Caleb Swanigan's Homestead team, I believe, right, in the state championship right. game. And they re- right. they would run it and gun it like crazy. Is Jennings County kind of like what Evansville Wrights was prior to when they were good a couple of years ago? Is that how Jennings County plays? Jennings County tends to get up and down the floor. Jennings County has won a sectional for the first time in, in 18 years. Wow. And basically all of Jennings County was at the Lloyd Scott Gymnasium last week, including last night, because it was a wall of blue uh, looking at that down there. Um, Jennings County is a team that, that what is also going to be their legacy is that they had the toughest possible path in that sectional and won every game. You know, they were down big late to Bedford. Found a way to get that double overtime. Didn't score a point in the first overtime. Still won because neither did Bedford in that first overtime. Then they're down double digits to Jeffersonville, a team that beat them in the regular season, and they win that game. And New Albany certainly wasn't their usual selves, but you're playing a guy that's won 600 games and was coaching to extend his career. He's retiring, and Jennings County found a way to win that game too. So, you know, Jennings County has put up some points. Jennings County has some talent that clearly – Jennings County's got some heart in terms of how they have won. And, you know, knowing where that, that, that regional is, that place is going to be full of Panther fans 
coming up on Saturday afternoon. That's going to be a, a big home court advantage for Jennings County. Greg Rakestraw is with us. Two things to close this out. I wanted to give a shout to Indian Creek for winning a sectional for the first time in, I believe, 23 years. They get Beach Grove in the regional. And then yeah, something I don't know if we've talked to very much, but North Davies won the title in Class A a year ago and jumped yep. 2A, went to 3A, and they won the sectional. And you know they get Gibson Southern, which – I. Have we ever seen a double jump like that with a team that makes it back ultimately to the state championship game? Because North Davies, Greg, I don't know if you've looked at it, they have a pretty decent shot they to do. do that. They do. And and so let, let's explain the North Davies story. So they went up to 2A, not on the success factor. They went up on enrollment. And, they, and, and that is because the enrollment barrier – to be in 1A keeps dropping. As, as more new charter schools get added, right. the, the top end of 1A keeps coming down. It's around 280 or so right now is that current cutoff line. And so they elected uh, to go from 2A to 3A, and there's a couple of different ways of, of looking at that. One of those is that, hey, you're in the same sectional as Washington, so you've got a natural rival if you do that. Did they not want Linton? The, the, the more cynical yeah. way of looking at that would be Lynn Stockton's in 2A, yeah. Brownstown Central is in 2A. Right. Seemingly, the and as you have noted, you know I think there were two ranked teams in the top 10 going to the postseason in 3A in the southern half of the bracket. It, the, the northern half of the bracket's really loaded in 3A this year. So you're right. It, it, there is very much a chance for North Davies to make the 1A final in 2022 and play in the 3A final in 2023, that opportunity is in front of them. I, I can't remember when that's happened before. Can you? No. No, I mean, just because teams have not made the double jump like that. Right. And, and again, it, it was scenario and, and circumstance where, you know, there, there have been teams that have elected to play up a classification. No one has elected to play up in two classifications. And again, let me state, they did not elect to. They were going to be bumped to 2A. They elected to play in 3A. And now here's their opportunity. You know what? They got it all down there. They got the Odin meat locker. They got the Dutch pantry. And they got a high level of basketball in 3A right now. That's great. And I had the chance to call two of their games in the Hall of Fame Classic. And I'll be on the 3A call in a couple of weeks as well. So I might exa- I might see some North Davies folks again coming up at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in about uh, yep. 12 days or so. That's a pretty good uh, chance you're going to see that. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I guess I'll talk to you again on Saturday, right? Yes, sir. Of course. Um, thanks for you know taking care of the request yeah. over the weekend. I appreciate always, that. Always, buddy. You know that. Just uh, especially if I got to dig deep, just give me a little heads up. <laughs> that's why. That's why I always try to give you a bit of a. There is a believe it or not. There's a pre-show meeting for my phone call with JMB every week. So I'll, I'll be in on Friday afternoon. We'll have that conversation then. All right, buddy. Appreciate you.